0: You are listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid Missouri's source for in depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It is so much more than radio. It is your community radio on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon and I am so happy that we get to spend the next hour together taking a journey around the arts. When the going gets tough, Is it better to be a big organisation with access to considerable resources and deep-pocketed donors who can write you a cheque for six figures as easily as most of us swipe our card at the grocery store? Or is it better to be small and nimble with limited resources and a dedicated cadre of donors who will give you their last $20, but it is only $20? For big organisations who in the before times had a 100 plus workers and could pull in national touring shows or international exhibits, ticket sales might account for a big percentage of their overall revenue, all of which is now gone. Plus, many of their trained and skilled workers are furloughed and are possibly shifting out of the arts sector altogether. For small organisations, they often ran on a shoestring budget even in the good times, with one or two staff members multitasking and most of their income coming from donations topped up by ticket sales. But now, there is no topping up. Add to this the uncertainty of when and if audiences return. A national survey from the beginning of September found that almost 60% of members of cultural organisations said they would only feel safe returning when a coronavirus vaccine is available. And it is likely, according to industry data analysts, that cultural institutions will not return to before-times level of visitors and income until 2023. Yes, 2023. So whether you love the St. Louis Philharmonic or one of the local arts organisations we have on today's show, they all need us to keep them alive. So off we go on today's jaunt and our first stop is Columbia Entertainment Company. Many years ago, I went to Disney World with my then six-year-old niece. The highlight of the trip for her was the Disney Princess Breakfast. She was totally kitted out in her bell frock, Or maybe it was Cinderella. I'm no expert, but it was the princess with the blue dress. Anyway, it was a magical experience for her and an exercise in restraint for me, coupled with a very mediocre breakfast. But the whole princess thing has always seemed to me like an exercise in setting expectations that being skinny and beautiful, innocent and overlooked is the only way to find your prince despite the fact that many princes want just regular-sized women with interesting personalities and some attitude. So it is a delight that a musical comedy called Disenchanted came into being a few years ago, and a local production will be streamed this weekend, courtesy of Columbia Entertainment Company. And here to tell us more about it is the princess who kissed a frog, aka Enola White. Good morning, Enola. Good morning. How are you, Diana? Great. You know, I have no recollection of reading fairy tales as a child, but I clearly did, as the stories of Snow White and Sleeping Beauty, etc. are all lodged deep in my brain. But Disenchanted, which is aimed much more at sassy female adults, puts more of a girl power twist on the legend. So tell us what the story arc is of Disenchanted, the comedy musical.
1: So there are many versions of Disenchanted, and one of the versions that we're very happy that is available is the stay-at-home version. So if you would imagine these Disney princesses, they've been married, they've had their families, they's, they've had their lives, they are, like most of us, stuck at home. And so the way that they are getting together to have a cup of tea is via Zoom. So they're kind of airing their grievances out via song on a Zoom happy hour, if you will. So they're talking about things that have happened to them since we've seen them, since their productions have closed, their, their movies have wrapped, they're no longer having their rides at the the various theme parks so they're just telling us what's going on in their lives and in really in ways that we can relate to and yes of course with that female empowerment spin so
0: this is not the disenchanted that opened off broadway a few years ago
1: it is an adapted version of that. So that version of of Disenchanted, there's a lot more interconnectedness, um, a lot more dialogue in that performance. But because we've adapted for the Zoom environment, this is just the Disney princesses having a conversation and singing with each other.
0: And was it adapted by the same person that wrote the original book?
1: Yes, yes, it was. So we're very fortunate that we still have, we retained a lot of the same songs. The theme is still the same, but the structure is a little bit different. If you've seen the production on Broadway, if you've heard some of those songs, it's just been adapted for a virtual format.
0: So this is truly adapted for this age. I mean, he rewrote it knowing that people were going to be producing it over Zoom. And so therefore it is, it is designed for that medium.
1: Yes, this version is specifically for a Zoom, a streaming format. And we, like we said, we're very fortunate that um, they did this in response to all of the things that have been going on in relation to coronavirus and COVID. They created this virtual format for theatres to be able to still perform and have art out there in the world.
0: So there are eight princesses in Disenchanted. Tell us how they differentiate themselves from their legendary counterparts.
1: Well, you might remember that Snow White is the pretty prissy princess, um everything <laughs> is always Practically perfect um, with Snow White, and Snow White uh, has a couple of feelings about that, and she's going to tell you about her inner sassiness. Um, Sleeping Beauty is not the perfect princess that we all remember. Um, that's laying there with her golden halo of hair. She is kind of she has a little bit of narcolepsy. <laughs> um, she falls <laughs> asleep every now and then in the middle of things, and uh, Cinderella isn't the the graceful queen that you you always see her as. You know, floating around in her. her her lovely ball gown at the prince's ball, she is a little um, flighty. I mean, she left her flipping glass slipper on the stair, right? And so you really get to see those little nuances about some of these princesses.
0: And you play the princess who kissed the frog, which was the first story in the Grimm Brothers' 1812 compendium. But in the original version, I just learned, called The Frog King, the rather horrid princess actually threw him with all her might against her bedroom wall and yelled, Now you will have your peace, you disgusting frog! So tell us about your version of the princess, who, according to legend, was so beautiful that the sun itself, who indeed has seen so much, marvelled every time it shone
1: upon her face. Well, my princess, the princess who kissed the frog, is literally happy to finally have been invited to the party. (laughs) She says... I've been sitting here waiting for this moment, and now here I am. So here is everything that I have to say about why it took so long to get someone who looks like me, because she's an African-American princess, the first African-American princess in the Disney line, to come along. So she's like, I've been, I've been sitting here waiting for you, and here I am. So let me tell you all about the great things that I can do and how I'm going to contribute to the overall theme that is disenchanted and that is female empowerment.
0: Are they all
1: completely disenchanted? Is anybody doing well in the COVID world? The Disney princesses? uh, Well, not the Disney princesses, the disenchanted princesses. They're adapting. They're doing fairly well. Um, Belle has been locked up with, you know, her talking um, inanimate objects, basically, the (laughs) Lumiere and the Cogsworth and all of those. So she might have a slightly different perspective, but the rest of us seem to have, have adapted quite well. Now, as
0: well as the eight, let's say, European princesses they hail from old Europe, you also have Mulan and Pocahontas who come from very different traditions and were always more feisty than their woe is me European counterparts. How do
1: Mulan and Pocahontas change for the girl power party? I don't want to reveal much about Mulan because um, <laughs> her entire character um, takes it a, a completely different spin, but it really helps you connect to a lot of the things that she did and approaches that she took to, to help China conquer. So Really listen to Mulan's song because it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, Ronnie, who is playing Mulan, does a fantastic job with that song. Same thing with Pocahontas. We have, uh, Mariah, who is playing Pocahontas and Pocahontas' song is very, very cute and innocent. So you have to actually pay attention to what she's saying because she's not being cute and innocent with her words. There is no, nothing left on the floor. She's telling you exactly what's happening, but her song is, is a little misleading for you if you don't pay attention to what she's saying.
0: So how much does Mulan's Song reflect the current situation between America and China?
1: I don't think there's so much political nature in the show in general. This show is really, again, it's about female empowerment. So that reflection of the current state of things that are going on in China and the interaction with America, that is not discussed in, in the context of this show. So you won't see Mulan discussing those things. I wondered if she
0: referred to, like, you know, the virus or
1: anything. (laughs) (laughs) Nope, 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 nope. (laughs) (laughs) I think they left that out for for politically correct reasons.
0: (laughs) Some of the songs that you sing have incredible ranges. How tough is the music that you have to sing in Disenchanted, the stay-at-home version?
1: So in any musical, all the musical is always hard. Because they write it, and you listen to it, and it's fantastic, and it's lush, and that's what makes it so enjoyable, right? Well, in a virtual environment, I don't get to go and sit down next to my piano player and have them plunk out each one of the parts. So it was a little bit more of a challenge learning the music. We do have the advantage of, you know, having Broadway performances, and we were provided with performance tracks, but still learning the music um, was uh, was difficult, But fortunately, Kate Schultz, who is the director, she picked fantastic singers who have great ears and are able to make good choices so that they stylistically fit with the show and they lyrically fit within the confines of the music. So it's, it's been challenging trying to, to figure out, okay, where does this fit in? And am I singing the right note or is this person also singing the right note when you're not all in the same room? But I think you'll be very, very pleased with the, with what we've been able to accomplish because everybody is a fantastic singer and actress and they've got some great vocals and some great voice talent. So are you
0: singing to a backing track that the production provided? Or do you have musicians that you're working with local musicians?
1: We were provided with performance tracks. So we have our own backing track. So it's kind of a virtual karaoke, if you will. Um, So again, that's yet another challenge of the virtual format is working with uh, internet issues and lag. So that's that's also been interesting to, to kind of overcome. So
0: your production stars, you have Megan McNew as Snow White, Kylie Bales as Cinderella, Catherine Baines as Sleeping Beauty, Michelle Curry as Belle, Ronnie Rossi as Mulan, Mariah Araiza as Pocahontas, Erin Hansen as The Little Mermaid, and you as the princess who kissed the frog. But there is no Rapunzel or Princess Badroulbadour from Aladdin. Where where did they go? Are they just not in this version?
1: They are not in this version, and that's because in the original production, some of those roles are doubled. So they wanted to decrease the number of princesses that would be doubling in the virtual format just because it's a little bit more difficult <laughs> to not only be one princess, but then to you know have to have a costume change mid-show live streaming is is harder.
0: So even though you are all doing this from home individually, and then collectively we're seeing it together. I mean, presumably you all have costumes. You also have a, a production team working with you, do you?
1: Yes, we do. Kate Schultz is our director, and she has been assisted by her husband, Derek Schultz. And we also have Alyssa Husky, who has helped with costumes, and Dane Johnson has also helped us with vocals as well.
0: And how are you doing the background? Because you are all at home in the production, then it doesn't matter what the background is. You've just all got your own individual backgrounds.
1: We are using the lovely Zoom background feature. <laughs> um, so we've all adapted our living spaces so that we can have either green screens or blank walls so that we can have these Zoom backgrounds actually working and we don't look like we're just like sur- suddenly emerging out of the mist or out of a forest or <laughs> something like that.
0: <laughs> so when we watch it as a viewer, are we seeing eight different windows or so do you come and go? How How is the production? What does it
1: look like on screen for the viewer? So I don't know what it's going to look like for the viewer and that's just simply because I, as we're recording it, as we're making everything work, um, Kate is in the background manipulating everything to make sure that Whoever is singing, you see that person. And if someone has their video off, you don't see their box. So I'm excited to see what the layout is going to be. I know that she has a great vision. And so I just can't wait to see what it is. And that's another great thing about this format is that I actually get to see the production. So I can just see what did I make a fool of myself while I was singing in my song? Did I lift my hand at a weird angle? And you know, the choreographer was yelling at me, I can actually see
0: those things now. So this isn't live, this is all pre recorded. And we're watching the stitch together pre record.
1: Yes, it's going to be a pre recorded version of the show.
0: Okay, so have you already recorded it?
1: We have not we've started doing some recording just to kind of test things out but we're going to be recording it this evening during our rehearsal and putting all of the final touches on it and getting it off to be uploaded for you all to to watch starting on Thursday.
0: Yes we should say that actually we're chatting to each other on Tuesday so by the time that everybody hears this (laughs) it will be Friday and you will have already done one night so for people listening to this show then they can tune in and watch it on Friday and Saturday. Now you are selling tickets for this through Broadway On Demand. Tell me a bit more about how that works.
1: So all you need to do to access a ticket is click on the link on CEC's Facebook page or on our website and that'll take you into Broadway On Demand. You'll want to create a account and once you've created an account you can purchase your ticket. The reason it has you create an account is so that you can be housed in the system and so that you can also then log back in to go and watch the show especially if you buy your ticket ahead of time
0: the production is available basically just on friday this week i.e today in terms of when the show is broadcast and tomorrow but you can listen to it presumably at any time during that 48 hour period
1: that's correct. So once you've bought a ticket, you do get your ticket to watch for one time. So if you want to watch it again, you have to buy another ticket. Um, that is the catch. But you can, once you've bought your ticket, you can watch it at any point in time between October 22nd and October
0: 24th. So up until midnight on Saturday, correct. you can watch it. And then CEC gets a portion of that ticket price.
1: Yes, so the tickets are seventeen ninety dollars $14 goes to Columbia Entertainment Company, and the $3.95 is the service fee to Broadway On Demand.
0: Okay, so we'll be supporting CEC when we watch it. So you and Jim Little are listed as the producers for the show. What does that entail exactly?
1: That's a fantastic question. It's one of those where in a normal environment, it would entail going to the performances helping the production team organize meetings, helping run auditions, um, making sure that you're tracking receipts and different things like that, making sure that everything is is on track to to open. In a virtual format, that means Kate sends me an email um, and she asks me, does this work? And I say, I don't know what that is. And she says, OK, that's great. And we both go and look to find the answer. Um, and whoever gets the answer first lets the other one know. So it's been a lot of growth and a lot of knowledge. I learned more about virtual production, audio editing, video editing in the last month than I ever thought that I needed to know. So if anybody needs any of those skill sets, (laughs) (laughs) I do have those now, but it's, it's been a lot of just asking what do, what does the production team need? And how can we support them? Because again, this is this is completely entirely new territory. So we're all working together to to make sure that we have a good product. And I can guarantee you, just based off of the little clip bits that I've seen, and the things that I've heard, I know that this is going to be a fantastic production.
0: What's been some of the trickiest parts of this new kind of technology world for, for this production specifically? Internet. Mm.
1: The internet lag One of the The reason that we chose To do on demand Instead of live streaming Is one of our first rehearsals We're all there We're going through the book We're listening to the music And and then a couple of people got kicked out <laughs> of the Zoom room, um, and it was just because the internet was being spotty. So to make sure that we have, we produce something that is guaranteed to look the same for everyone who is coming, because that's one of the things that you want to do in theater is you want to make sure you have the same kind of quality no matter what night you come. So for a CEC production, if you come on week one opening night, we want to make sure that it looks the same when you come on closing night. So We wanted to ensure that same format and that same guarantee. So we decided to use the on-demand and go ahead and pre-record the production so that we're not at the mercy of the internet and making sure that people have stable internet connections because we live in Missouri and who knows if it's going to start storming in the middle of, of one of the recordings. So what you're going to see is going to look like a Zoom connection that is the intent. So it's going to kind of look like a Zoom webinar. If you will, like I said, I'm not exactly sure how Kate has everything like laid out and and things like that. I know she has a fantastic vision. We are pre-recording it in Zoom because it's the most accessible option platform that we have um, at this time. So we're going to go ahead and record it in Zoom. But in terms of what you see, you shouldn't see anything other than what if you were logging on to YouTube and watching something on YouTube as a video, you might see a couple of different boxes, some princess is interacting with each other and dancing on screen but it should be it should be a really good time and like I said I'm very excited to see what it's going to look like.
0: I think it's really fun that this isn't quite the same as the stage play that this is adapted for specifically for this time this year everyone's staying at home they're all having a cup of tea and um... And talking about the times that we, the times they've had since we last saw them, I think that's, I think that's fantastic. You, or well, CEC has two more productions coming up this year. You have a one person show, is that right? Called Grounded by George mm-hmm. Brent, and that's from November the twelfth to the fifteenth. And then you have It's a Wonderful Life, a live radio play in December from the seventeenth to the twentieth. How are, do you know how those are going to be produced? Is it similar to this?
1: So Grounded is going to be live in person. We will have limited seating. So if anyone wants to purchase a ticket, those tickets will go on sale starting November 1st. Um, so please visit CEC's website and our Facebook page for more information. But again, the, there will be in, in-person in live seating for Grounded, but it will be limited. Just making sure that we keep in place with all of the social distancing measures and all of the precautions that have been put in place by the City of Columbia and uh, the Boone County Health Department. It's a Wonderful Life will likely be another virtual format. I am not exactly sure what that's going to look like. They just started doing auditions and they've got a video audition submission process. So again, you can go to our website to learn more about that video audition submission process. And I, that's another show that I, I think is going to be fantastic in a virtual format. It's already a radio play. Um, so it should really lend itself to this kind of stay at home vibe and also being at your house and listening to a Christmas story. Who doesn't want to hear that? That's, that's something that's great.
0: Right, I don't know how Christmas is going to feel this year. Same like Thanksgiving, it's a bit up in the air at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, Columbia Entertainment Company's production of the musical comedy Disenchanted can be viewed Disenchanted Stay at Home version can be viewed at home today and tomorrow. Tickets are available from Broadway On Demand, the link for which is on the CEC homepage at cectheatre.org, and that's theatre spelt R-E, so C-E-C-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org. Just scroll past the section where the featured shows are and you'll see the link to the Broadway On Demand. Tickets cost $17.95, but $14 of that all goes to the Columbia Entertainment Company, so it's a great way to support them. Thank you so much, Enola, for taking time to chat today. Thank you very much for having me. Where do you go in Colombia if you want to learn how to break dance or hip hop, or you want to get involved with an after-school STEAM program? That's science, technology, engineering, arts and math. Well, that place is our next stop today. The arts have had many moments of reckoning this summer in all the ways it fails to address institutionalized racism across all its sectors. But one Columbia organization has, since 2015, been using art to enhance equity and inclusion in our diverse community. As many organizations have this year been working on policies to be more open and welcoming, to represent a greater diversity of voices, Jabberwocky Studios has carried on lifting minority and underserved voices and expanding their programming and here to tell us more about Jabberwocky's programs and how they have adapted to these pandemic times is its executive director Linda Schust. Good morning Linda.
2: Good morning Diana.
0: It seems that every time I visit your website, your programming has expanded yet again. Last time I looked, it was your STEAM program that jumped out at me, and now you are also expanding into theatre. Are you mostly responding to requests for expanded programming, or is it a case of if you build it, they will come?
2: I think it's more that as the organization matures, we see additional opportunities to use the arts to Enhance our goal of building equity and inclusion. And as we see those opportunities, we tend to try to expand the programming into those areas.
0: So, looking at uh, your background, you moved to Columbia from Boston back in 2007, where you were a research scientist and editor for Harvard's online medical resource site. And once here in Columbia, you earned your teacher certification and taught science. What was the impetus back then to start Jabberwocky?
2: I think it actually started when I was doing my graduate work and postdoctoral work. In graduate school, I studied cancer. And I guess as I got farther and farther into my degree, I started to realize that you know cancer is basically a disease that builds up in your body and tends to affect people later in life as they accumulate mutations. And then I realized a lot of people in the world, children, die every day because of, they lack simple things like clean water or mosquito netting or vaccinations. And I started to kind of wonder whether I was in the right field or whether there were more basic, simple needs that people had that were not being met. And a lot of people didn't have the opportunity to live long enough to develop those kinds of diseases that a lot of American people die from. And I think because of that feeling of maybe dissatisfaction, I started to look for other ways in my life that I could try to do something that I felt would, was really meaningful.
0: But why the arts? What attracted you to the arts specifically and, and forming the kind of organization that Jabberwocky has become?
2: Well, I feel like the arts, at least in some, some aspects of the arts, are very accessible to Everyone. And I also feel like previously I also taught, I was also a teacher here in Columbia, and I had empathy for some of the children who are not as successful at school as some of the other children, and realizing that legally those kids have to be in school like six, seven hours a day. They have to do it, and they have to be in a place where Maybe they don't feel that successful or they don't feel like they have an opportunity to shine. And that I feel like it's important for everybody to be able to find that niche where they feel comfortable and they feel like they can be successful. And at the same time, I had become involved with some of the other arts organizations in town through my children's participation and realizing that some of those places were maybe not a very comfortable space for my youngest child who is African-American. I think viewing those things through her eyes made me realize that um, they're not necessarily... Her experience of those spaces was different than my two biological children. And then also, the other catalyst was that I had a friend who was part of a local church, and they had decided that they wanted to try to do outreach to some of the more um, low-income neighborhoods in town, and they actually had purchased a house in one of these neighborhoods and they were doing barbecues on the weekends and inviting everybody from the church and everyone from the neighborhood. And I attended one of those and it looked to me like, although it seemed like a fantastic idea, uh, something was missing because most of the people from the neighborhood were congregating with each other and people from the church were congregating with each other. And there wasn't that kind of crossover that they had intended. And I, it occurred to me that the problem was that there was, no, there was no common ground for those people to meet on. And I figured that if people are participating in something together, like creating art or learning art, that gives them a common ground to kind of overcome the natural inhibitions that people have with meeting and interacting with people that are strange to them or maybe have different life experiences than they do.
0: I mean, when you start Jabberwocky and mostly looking at, you know, the programming was in dance and music, a lot of that programming was already available to some degree in Columbia. So it is kind of a sad indictment that you felt that your child wasn't welcome in this space. Because I'm sure that that wasn't anybody's intention, but that is the reality of of this situation.
2: Um, And I'm not saying that that anybody there made her feel unwelcome. But I'm saying that to be the only, especially when you're a child or when you're approaching your teens and conformity is so important, to be the only one that looks like you in a given space and to have teachers and instructors and adults around you that don't look like you Mm -hmm. is just an extra hurdle to have to overcome.
0: And at the heart of, of your mission, you have policies of diversity on your board and your staff. You want to create a warm atmosphere and a community where everyone feels welcome and appreciated. And I'm sure that this year in particular, many arts organizations have reached out to you to ask for advice. Um, I mean, like I said, none of them think of themselves as unwelcoming, but the reality is, as you say, if you are a child and you walk into a space where you are the only person that looks like you, that makes you pause for a moment. What advice have you been able to impart to other organizations?
2: I think in struggling to reach underserved populations, a lot of organizations, including us, run into the same issues. So obviously one issue can be financial, and we've tried to deal with that by implementing our tuition waiver policy, and that's kind of built into our business model. But the other obstacle that looms very large is transportation, Hmm. and so I think everybody who tries to reach out to these populations and serve them eventually comes to the conclusion that transporting people to and from activities or classes is very important. So some of the larger organizations like Boys and Girls Club or like the Moving Ahead program have transportation. So they bring the kids to their activities. But, you know, that opens up a whole, I mean, For a small organization, it's difficult to have the resources that are needed to hire a driver, purchase a car, pay the insurance, pay the maintenance and all that. Um, And so one idea that I've been working on, Jabberwocky's been working on, along with the Columbia Art League, is to try to flip the tables. And instead of trying to bring kids to us, bringing art out to kids And so we're in the process now of trying to work with the Office of Cultural Affairs in the city to implement a program where we would have like an art bus, kind of like maybe like the STEM bus that the public schools started. And that bus could go out to neighborhoods where there are underserved kids or areas where art's not that accessible and actually bring art to those neighbourhoods.
0: many years ago when I was at the Art League and I remember the library was selling off its... um, It was getting a new bus, a new library bus, a bookmobile, and I thought, oh my goodness, wouldn't it be amazing to buy the old bookmobile and turn it into an art bus and then take it around town to places. And we put a bid in for it, but we got outbid by somebody else. And it wasn't a huge amount of money. It was like, I don't know, $2,000. And I thought that would be such a great investment to make to take art out. Because, yes, it's hard getting downtown. And that it does impact a lot of people's ability to take part in all the things that are predominantly happening downtown. Tell us a little bit more about the programming that Jabberwocky does.
2: Well, So we have a lot of programs. Obviously, we started with our dance classes. Every summer, we, well, for the last, this will be the fourth summer, we've painted a mural in an area of town that serves or where people of low income and a high proportion of minority people reside. Last summer, we painted one in the Blind Boone Center where the Columbia Housing Authority's Moving Ahead program is. We also have murals in Oak Towers, and then we have two murals over in the Ridgeway neighborhood, which which we basically, our studio abuts that neighborhood. So that's one of the things we've done every summer, and we've done it in conjunction with the city's care program, so that the program has allowed us to pre-screen applicants and then just notify them that uh, we've approved these applicants, and then they send those teens to our studio, and then they're paid through the care program while they learn from our art director about designing and installing these murals. Of course, that went by the wayside this summer because we couldn't think of a way to have teens socially distanced and safe while they're working together on the same mural. So this summer we've adapted it and the mural will just... And it's been a long process to get... We usually reach out to all the stakeholders. We take surveys in the areas about what people would like to see and that process has been tremendously slowed by COVID. So we're just now in the, at the point of having the design approved. And so I don't know that it will be possible to install it now or we'll have to wait till spring. But that's where that is. And we have our STEAM program, which is STEM plus art. And then the other actually change that's occurred to that program, the program serves mostly English language learners who are at this. Stage, they're all refugee children from African countries. And um, with the onset of virtual schooling, the STEAM program is an enrichment kind of learning where people combine all these different threads of learning to produce something. And we realized that with the onset of this virtual learning, and for kids who are not native English speakers and have varying levels of proficiency, and also have varying levels of access to the internet that we kind of needed to switch gears a little bit from enrichment to basically supporting them and getting through the school year. And so through the tremendous flexibility of the Heart of Missouri United Way, who funds that program, we were given permission to divert some of that funding to supporting the kids that are in our STEAM program with their schoolwork. And so that's something we've been actually putting quite a bit of effort into over the last, well, since school started especially, I mean, not only helping the kids with their homework and helping them to understand what's expected of them and to complete the work, but even just helping them to get working with the schools to make sure they have internet access so they can actually attend their classes.
0: What about your dance programming? What has happened to that in the pandemic? Well,
2: when the pandemic first hit, we having never lived through a major global (laughs) pandemic before, the board and I naively assumed that maybe we would just kind of wait it out. And so obviously that didn't work. So sometime around midsummer, this is another thing we were very fortunate, um, the business loop CID, and we're within that district, has installed what they call a pop-up park on the business loop next to Dave Griggs Flooring America. And when the virus hit, obviously a lot of people aren't congregating there. And so we obtained permission from the CID to hold our classes outside there. And so, during the summer we have re- we had reinstituted our dance program, and we've been basically dancing outside at this park, which is ideal. It has a astroturf flooring, it's all fenced in for safety, and there are big storage sheds there, so we store we can store all the stuff that we've needed for our classes and basically, we just you know take temperatures, people are expected to the children are masked while they're dancing or the adults and um The enrollment is down, I'm sure, because of everything that's happening with the virus. So it has been easy for us to make sure that all the kids are socially distanced while they're dancing. And so we've just been doing it outside. And now we've made the, we, we kind of surveyed a lot of the people that were dancing. And most people seem like they are interested in moving back inside now that the fall has come. So... That's the big decision that we're contemplating now because we want to make sure that if we do it, it can be done safely. So that's going to involve like severe limits on class sizes and really stringent masking requirements. And so that's what we're contemplating now. So our our dance classes are actually our major revenue stream that we use to pay the rent, et cetera. So... um, It was nice that we could do them this summer, but hopefully we can find a safe way to continue to offer it. We contemplated offering live streamed classes, but I think kids are spending so much time on their computers now that that's not really an option that's very appealing.
0: So it's going to be a tough winter for everybody, I think, um, now that we're all stuck inside.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're carefully watching what's happening to the case rates and the positivity rates In the area.
0: And the other programs are are on hold too arts and theatre, that's really waiting for a chance for us to get back together again and and recongregate. Well, Linda, thank you so much for catching us up on the world of Jabberwocky. If anybody wants to get involved or find out more about Jabberwocky's programming, you can visit their website at jabberwockystudios.org. And I love the name. It is my favorite poem.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We love that poem too.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much, Linda. Thank you, Diana. We started today's tour on one stage and we're going to end it on another. It takes much more than a global pandemic to keep my next guest from her mission to teach, to reach and to inspire through the magic of theatre. And through that magic, impart life lessons and values to young actors and young audiences. Last time I spoke to Jill Womack, the Executive Artistic Director of Trips Children's Theatre was in late May, at which point she was flipping their entire summer camp schedule into the world of Zoom. Welcome back to Speaking of the Arts, Jill. Bill?
3: Thanks, Diana. It's So good to be here. So how did the summer go? It was wonderful. I'm so grateful. There are so many silver linings with Zoom. We had the opportunity to hire teachers from all over the United States. We had children who had cousins and relatives in other states who could be in the same Zoom room together. And we were able to keep living our mission of reaching out and providing educational programming to children. So, you know, that, that was extraordinary in a very difficult time.
0: You know, I spent three hours in a Zoom meeting the other week, and I just had to wander around and stare at trees for a while afterwards. (laughs) I have no idea how children and teachers are living this world day after day. How do you make the world of theatre summer camps work in this medium? Because really what you do, it's all about movement
3: and action and not sitting still. Oh, that didn't change. That didn't (laughs) change at all. (laughs) The kids right now, we, we've pivoted now because we weren't able to do full productions right now. We are doing Zoom plays. And so the kids are still doing, one group is doing superheroes. So they're, they're doing all kinds of stage combat right into the camera. And the kids are reacting on the other end as if they've been Zow, Pop, Pow. pow. <laughs> it's wonderful. And, you know, and I love too, uh, how interactive it can be because the teachers can, see each child, see each child's work individually. Um, the kids are able to see what we're seeing. And in theater, that's that's gold. Because usually when you're in a play, you're depending on an outside eye to tell you, you need to smile, you need to look up, you need to be more engaged with body, mind, voice connection. And the kids are able in Zoom to see exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about it. And that, I think, has really improved children's sense of Technique, and that's been wonderful too. So there have been a, as hard as it is, and the kids are so resilient. You know, they're they're gonna go with it and go with the flow, and 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 mercifully, the trips teachers are so brilliant. <laughs> they just keep them acting and up and moving and dancing and creating crafts, and it I think was really enriching and and a sense of normalcy in a really unnormal time. Do you think all of this? acting
0: through Zoom might mean that the students from this era
3: veer towards a career in film rather than a career on the stage. I don't think you can beat that audience actor connection. I think they'll always have that at their roots, but I think they've got uh, maybe a new tool in their toolkit that that perhaps they hadn't thought about before. <laughs> So we're
0: into the fall semester now. Some children went back to school this week and older students are still learning from home. So over the summer, of course, there wasn't school on and so going to Zoom was part of their day. But now going to Zoom is every day. How do you entice children to spend even more time
3: engaging with this medium? Well, it's really easy because they, the kids who come to trips love being on stage. They love this world. And we've attracted a lot of kids who've stayed with us, who are repeating the work with us. And so what we've done is shortened the length of the session. So usually if you're doing a class, it might be up to eight weeks of a session with us for 90 minutes. And now we've shortened it. And so some students are with us for half an hour every Saturday, or they're with us for an hour for five weeks on a Saturday morning. And so it kind of Echoes our usual pattern in person of Saturday morning classes. And we've also continued our after school classes. And that repeats our pattern that the kids would come and do that. So again, it's a sense of normalcy with the schedule, but making it a shorter session, being able to lower the price that way that maybe families who are experiencing a, a loss of income or a loss of income because a parent is staying at home with with children, it stays accessible to as many families as possible.
0: I was looking through your classes available, and clearly your constituents are not afraid of more Zoom times. I think all of your early fall classes are sold out. Are you seeing a difference in enrollment numbers from a
3: normal non-pandemic time? It's probably about half. We probably are at, at about half of what we would be normally But the Zoom, you know, we've got three Zoom plays rolling right now. And that's commensurate with a full main stage production cast. So that's terrific. And I love that they are co-creating original work um, with the Zoom plays. That's not something we've had time to do before. And then the wonderful editors, Neil and Kyle, have talked us into dropping them episodically. So every week, the work is coming out, and it's free. And that is wonderful. You know, it's easier to get to and it's accessible to everybody. You don't have to find a parking place, you don't have to drop everything and stop your family's routine and and groom, (laughs) go, you can just turn it on. And I love that. So I think there have been a lot of silver linings. I think Trips has been really nimble at finding ways to uh, mimic our pattern, continue our pattern of classes and offerings and and really reach farther into work that we haven't been able to focus on. So you have three plays coming up in the full program, what you're calling your original Zoom plays. Tell us a little bit more about those. So one of them is directed by Lauren Peterson, and it is Superheroes Unite. And the kids are taking characters from the superhero universe and creating their own adventure with them. Uh, so that is the one that is being edited to look like a comic book, which is really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so they're learning stage combat on the camera and. Uh, and they're learning, I think they're learning real resilience of having to problem solve. How do I videotape myself and edit? Uh, we well, don't have to really edit it, but how do I record myself and get my recording into this folder in the mysterious cloud so that my <laughs> editors can do magical things with them? Then we've got Lexi Borsinko is directing uh, Trial in Wonderland. So she's using the characters from Alice in Wonderland. And they are doing the zaniest trial ever. So she's got them making do-it-yourself costumes. She's got the queen. has got a rough Elizabethan rough made of a deck of cards. It's just brilliant. And then our teen ensemble is doing an escape room, which is perfect. It's a perfect thing to do. So theirs is called the house at the end of the street. And it's a group of teenagers on Halloween from rival schools who get locked into a haunted house and have to work together to escape so it's really fun to watch them problem solve in this new medium and the new technical tools that they need to do it and setting up their recording studio stations and you know getting direction in a different way of you have to stay in this little box and how are you going to create this big world and react in this big box so they're rising to it like champs and i think we're really excited to see it come together
0: how does the scripting process work for that? These are original plays. Are the students are writing them themselves or they're writing them with the teachers?
3: With the teachers. So the teacher had kind of a framework and then the students came in and said, I'm interested in this character and this is the kind of character it can be and naming my character. And these are maybe some scenarios of some different conflicts and resolutions that can happen in the play. And how does it have a beginning, middle and end for each episodes and then the big arc for the overall story? So the kids and the teachers kind of skull sessioned with that. And then the teachers dropped a, an outline and then I proofed it and just asked questions, you know, can this be tighter? Have you thought about this? Which they took back to the the students and then tweaked it again and then came up with a final, all of them have created about a 30 page script. And we're still dropping the two original ones from the summer. Um, the students have one that's picture the crime and recipe for murder that episodes are still coming out from those. So I think we'll have a total of five by Christmas, and then we are planning three more starting in January.
0: Fantastic. And these aren't things, this kind of original work scripting plays, are these things that you would do in ordinary times, or this is something that's... No,
3: brand new, which is really, really exciting. As I've said, that's such a great new silver lining that we never had time to, to really explore this way. And The kids you know, always wanted to get that script and get on stage and get those costumes and so it was just a different mindset and I think the kids have been really flexible and embraced a different opportunity and I'm, I'm really proud of them.
0: One of the programs you run and I don't know how long you've been doing this is the Q Players, which is such a powerful and vital space. Would you tell us a little bit more about this and, and how it got started?
3: So Q Players has been postponed unfortunately the, the pandemic has postponed it but I'm really excited about this and a I'm, I'm trying to really wrap my head around. I've seen a, di- a couple of different children's theater companies that have had a pride player group or a Q, Q is what we're calling ours for the LGBTQ teens and allies to be able to come together. And it's gender fluid casting. You know, we just need to get in the room with them and see what their interest is. Do they want to take like I've wanted to do an Oscar Wilde and gender flop the Characters forever. I think it's so exciting to watch work done that way. Um, but they may want to do Shakespeare, or they may want to write something original. They may want to write from their own experiences, a, a pastiche of monologues. So, you know, it, we really are wide open with what our LGBTQ teens and allies really want to create. And I love that at trips that there is always a space for new programming and new voices and new stars on stage and teaching kids to be the stars of their own lives i think that's so important and i think i think q can really do that
0: you're also involved with the Arts Hero campaign to support an act which goes by the acronym of DAWN, which stands for Defend Arts Workers Now. And the act asks for financial relief of $43.85 billion to the arts and culture sector, which, yes, is a huge amount of money. But then you realise that it's just 5% of what the sector provided to the overall economy last year, which is listed as $877 billion. Do you know,
3: and that's Twice what the travel industry, right? It's it's amazing. It's huge. So, what
0: conversations have you had with your young actors about the plight of the arts and culture sector and and how do they see it? What do they say?
3: Well, uh, we've really addressed it. And I I sent an email to all of them. I've sent several now that the Arts Hero campaign has come to fruition. If you want to participate in that, there's a, a link on our website tripskids.com and Arts Hero is a letter writing campaign to our senators who are voting on all kinds of stimulus and relief packages and to include the arts in that conversation and in that support financial support trips this year will lose about $125,000 by the end of this year in revenue and we still have the same bills of rent and utilities and insurance and all kinds of bills that are coming due so it's really important to include the arts. And I think the brilliance of this program is that the ultimate aim and is beyond stimulus is to beyond the Dawn Act. It's to create a member of the cabinet who represents the arts. And I, I think if you're not at the table, you're on the menu, right? Or you're cut from from every conversation. And I think that really is the backbone of the direction that the arts needs to go in. We need that that strong support at the table. And so there are a couple of different stimulus prongs going into the stimulus packages. Conversations of Save Our Stages is one for the music industry and Arts Heroes, one for the theaters. And when you think about Broadway is closed. Trips, I think, is thinking at this time, we're hoping to do an outdoor production next summer. Um, But that depends on... Where we are in the pandemic, so you can't look too far ahead. So, we've been really honest with our students about need and the postponement and the intermission that we're all in in this industry. And I think they're taking it really seriously. And it's such a great path to citizenship of teaching our students take time to write a letter, let your voice be heard. What are you passionate about? And that's what Arts Hero asks kids to do. Any student can do this. Do you sing? Do you play an instrument? Do you love theater? Do you paint? Do you write music? You can be a part of arts hero and it's taking a picture of yourself, creating art, doing art and sending that with a letter. And there's templates on our website and sending that to this, to the senators, to Senator Hawley and Senator Blunt. And nationally um, you could do it through your school. You do it through representing any local arts group that you are participating in. And that, that cavalcade of hopefully avalanche of, of letters will make a difference. On the one hand, it seems sad that we're having to ask our
0: children to help save an industry. But like you say, on the other hand, it's also a great early lesson in civics. And I love the fact that you have three different templates on your website for different age groups. And that really engages them and and gets them to ask questions of themselves and, and of the senators they're writing to. Do you have a sense of how many letters have been written by your students? I'm
3: not sure. I hadn't been tracking it with them. I know a couple have posted on Facebook and I've seen a couple of kids who've done artwork, you know, through school, a different art project. I'm like, send that That's an arts hero. That's fantastic. It can be a picture from a play that they've done. So uh, I think it makes it really easy. The templates and and just sending um, a photo or a, a drawing, anything can can really make a difference. And I think if the kids love the arts, which I know our trips kids do, and the kids at the school programs, they, they love theater, they love music, they love show choir. And so learning to support that and advocate for it at any age, I think, is extraordinary. Another big thing you have on the horizon is a move to a new home in I
0: 2021 know. and a fundraising appeal to get you there. What can you tell
3: us about that move and your fundraising campaign? So it's called the 21 Club. And we are asking families, we we talked about it a long time and we decided the people who make the greatest difference, we are change makers and there's the small donations that are steady and you can rely on them from month to month. So we've asked families and, and local community members to join the 21 Club and it's making a $21 donation on the 21st of each month so that trips can move in 2021. And we've set it up. It's again, it's on the website, a couple of different ways you can do Venmo PayPal, there's a way I can help you set up with direct deposit or cash app. And so that was my learning curve is like setting up a Venmo account and a cash app account. <laughs> and I know I feel I could be a bank teller setting up the direct deposit. deposit. It's So my, my learning curve has been pretty steep on this, but I love doing it. Do you have a home in mind yet? We have a couple in mind and we are negotiating rent and Remodeling, gosh, you know that's the hardest part in mm-hmm. a big move, is that not every space is set up to accommodate a theater company, and so one space has a price tag of about seventy five thousand dollars for blueprints and renovation, moving, turning on utilities, getting signage up. So from the day we sign the lease until the moving in, it's probably going to be about a seventy five thousand price tag, and Trips has got. Uh, well, it's about 175, excuse me, to do that. And we're going to raise 75. We've got savings of about 100,000 to go toward this project already. And we've raised $25,000 in pledges and donations to date. So we're just after that last $50,000 to get us into the new home.
0: And really, you don't want to spend all your savings on the move because you never know what else is coming up, you know? I know,
3: right. And so our fingers are crossed that we will be able to open safely in person in our new home on July 1st. And it just depends on a vaccine. Our staff is just so small that, you know, the cleaning and sterilization of the space depends on the staff, too. So, you know, just to have a group of kids in the building, you could only have about six in a classroom. And then you have to sterilize the whole, (laughs) disinfect the whole space before you can have the next set of kids come in. So we're just trying to wrap our heads around how, how that works and how we can financially make that work and make sure it's the safest place for the kids and the staff and their families to be.
0: Well, Jill Womack, it is always a delight to catch up with you. Thanks. I wish that you had been in my life when I was young and looking for... I wish <laughs> I had been in my life.
3: When I was, <laughs> my parents really wish that I had been in my life when I was young. There just there wasn't the
0: access to meaningful theatrical experiences when I was a child. And, you know, had there been, maybe my life would have been different. But then if it had been different, we wouldn't get to sit here now talking to each other on the radio. And so, you do a you know, lovely job. Thank you, your Will. Just wonderful. <laughs> All yeah, right, <laughs> as do you well thank you so much jill and let's catch up again soon
3: thank you take care
0: and that is it for another week All the Speaking of the Arts episodes are available as podcasts, which you can hear at speakingofthearts.transistor.fm or you can also connect through the KOPN website at (laughs) kopn.org. again to my guests today, Enola White, Linda Schust and Jill Womack. Thanks also to guitarist Yasmin Williams for allowing me to play her song, Restless Heart, at the beginning and end of the show. You can find more of her music on Spotify and on her website at yasminwilliamsmusic.com. Finally, thank you so much for listening. I'll be back next week with more Peaks Behind the Arts Curtain. Until then, stay arty, Columbia!